0: It's one of the number one needs of all human beings. The greatest need of children today, even adults, is that they don't know their purpose. I have nine kids, uh, five boys and four girls, and I've asked them all at some point, what do you want to be when you grow up? One of our sons told me his senior year in high school he wanted to be a doctor, and he's become that. One of our sons, his sophomore year in high school, told me he wanted to be a tennis pro, and that's what he is. Jamie told me her freshman year in college she wanted to be an occupational therapist. So she's now a senior in college, and that's what she's pursuing. My son, back in Louisville, said his freshman year in college, he wanted to do something with criminology. So he got that degree from the University of Louisville and is pursuing that. You know, when I talk with anybody on a significant level, you know, I ask them, you know, what is it that fires you up? What is it that gets you up in the morning? What are you passionate about? The biggest tragedy for many people is they never find their purpose. Uh, The question of purpose is one of the most important questions in life. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why work? Why raise a family? Why go to church? We must, to, to answer these questions and others, we must understand what our purpose is. The question I want to ask and answer today is, what is our purpose? It's the first in a seven-week series uh, called Jesus Curriculum, some of the seven most important things that Jesus taught his disciples. Now, this year, as other years, I asked staff when I was preparing the messages for the year for for their suggestions. And so I took one uh, six-week series that Micah suggested. We did that in the fall. Uh, took one that Chris uh, suggested, a, a five-week series we're going to do this summer. And this begins a seven-week series that Beth uh, recommended. Beth is our a children's minister, and uh, she grew up in Washington, D.C. Uh, does everybody know Beth? Raise your hand, Beth. Look back there, everybody. That's who I'm talking about. Yay. So she grew up. Uh, with great uh, great mentorship, uh, she went to 4th Presbyterian Church under Richard Halverson, who was the pastor there from 1958 to uh, 1981. He left that to become chaplain of the Senate from 1981 to 1994. She also grew up under the tutelage of Doug Coe, the founder, uh, leader of the fellowship, for 60 years. Fellowship is responsible for... Uh, Things like the National Prayer Breakfast—you've heard of that? It's always in February. You know, the president, senators, Congress uh, people, and uh, both sides of the aisle, and uh, people from around the world come. Uh, They uh, also—he—he traveled to all 196 countries in this world, and he uh, was able to set up National Prayer Breakfasts in many of those countries. Our son Luke has attended a couple of those in uh, in Africa, and. um, um, it, 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 the, the fellowship also is, is for the, uh, help set up the many prayer breakfasts that are around uh, the United States, cities all around the United States. Well, when uh, Beth's father died, when she was 14, she said Doug became like a second father to her. She spent a lot of time in their home, her best friend was Doug's father's daughter. And, uh, Doug was her best friend's father. And, uh, They'd sit around the dinner table and he would ask them these seven questions and then answer them. And they've always stuck with her. He taught them over and over again to his children. Here they are. What is the purpose? What is the gospel? What is the work? What is the ministry? What is the church? What is the method of leadership? And what is the kingdom? So what is the purpose? Jesus said... Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Paul wrote, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. To know Christ was His purpose. There's nothing greater than knowing the God who made us and entering a relationship, a love relationship with Him. Jesus said, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. One of... uh, Francis of Assisi's uh, students ran up to him and says, "Quick, get a come! The emperor is coming to Rome," and people were, were lining up on the, on the sides of the road. Uh, and and uh, Assisi didn't go. But he took a piece of paper and wrote on it, Matthew six thirty three: Seek first God's kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. And he gave it uh, to a student. He says. Take this, put it on the end of a stick. If you get a chance, hold it up to the emperor. He can take it and he can read his purpose. If you had a chance to meet the president or LeBron James or Tom Brady or the king of kings, which would you choose? There is no greater purpose than to know the King of Kings and to enter into a love relationship with him. That's our purpose. Jesus says, Yet, anyone who is thirsty, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will fro- flow from within them. By this, he meant the Spirit. Whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Jesus says, If you believe in me, if you follow me, if you love me, you'll become like a fountain. People love fountains, we're attracted to them, we, we like to see them. If we're like a fountain for Christ, people will be attracted. So turn to our text today, Matthew 22. If you have your Bible, 35 to 40, or you can page 990 on our Bibles. Jesus is at the temple in Jerusalem. This is the last week of his life. He was very popular. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead. And John tells us that many Jews came to believe in him after that. They would travel to Bethany to see Lazarus. And Jesus. And Jesus has just come into Jerusalem uh, with people waving palm branches. He's riding a donkey. Throngs of people. were on both, si- uh, both sides of the road leading up to Jerusalem. When we take our trip to Israel next year, we will, we will walk that path. And a teacher of the law asked him a question. One of them. An expert in the law tested him. So he's not just not just asking a question. He's trying to test him, catch him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now there are 613 commandments in the law. When, when, the, when we talk about the law, we're talking about the first five books of the Old Testament. So there's 613. If you want the cliff notes on these commandments, you look at the Ten Commandments. But Jesus gives here the executive summary. He says there's really only two commandments. They cover all the Ten Commandments. First five of the Ten Commandments have to do with loving God. Second five have to do with loving our neighbor. And all the 613 would hang under these two. You know, this expert in the law would have memorized. Can you believe that? Would have memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Can you do that? It's unbelievable. He knew them all. He wants to know which is the greatest. Jesus answers, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. This is one of the greatest, possibly the greatest text in the the law, in the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now, Mark tells us, Mark 12, 30, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now, did you notice the little differences in these three? So Matthew says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Moses says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And Mark includes all four. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, we talked about that all the Old Testament and New Testament, as written, was inspired by God. He saw to it through the Holy Spirit that they wrote without error. Why do we have these differences? So, some people would say, well, did Matthew get it right or did Mark get it right? Right. Well, the answer is, they're both inspired by God, and they both got it right. It tells us something about what the authors felt free to do. They felt free to summarize. Everything they wrote is not a literal transcription of what Jesus said. You know, apparently, Matthew felt free to leave one word off. Mark put all four in, probably. Jesus said all four. I think that would be the best explanation. All right, so Jesus answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Mark adds, and your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, the law are the first five books of the Old Testament, the prophets, everything else, the poets and the prophets, hang on these two commandments. You can take all 613 commands. They all hang on these two. Love God, love your neighbor. The purpose of our lives is to love God and people. So if our purpose is to love God, how do we do that? If we say, I'm going to love God with all my heart... All my strength, all my mind, so help me, will never get there. When loving God becomes an obligation, it becomes about yourself. And that's what it was for the Pharisees. To avoid love for God being an obligation, we need to see that to love God means to fall in love with Him. I think we make a mistake as followers of Christ when we put all of our emphasis on serving God, sharing Christ, obeying God. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God. Focusing on ministry over love is like proposing to a potential spouse and say, will you become the mother of my children? Or the father of my children? No. Marriage is not first about having children. It's, it's developing an intimacy with your spouse. Children is not the, the goal of the marriage. Loving God is a prerequisite for serving people and sharing Christ, and obeying God. Jesus said we're to love God with all our heart. What does it mean to love God with all our heart? Heart in the Old Testament does not refer to the muscle that pumps blood. It refers to the the inner core of our being. It's like the control tower in our life, the inner self. The source of our deepest desires. Jesus says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Have you ever blurted out something terrible to somebody else? And then afterwards, you're so embarrassed with what you said. Well, what happened? Well, likely, you said something that was building up inside of you. Resentment or anger. And it just came out. To deal with those feelings, we need an inner heart change. The prophet Ezekiel writes, speaking for God, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. We can't love God on our own. We come to God and admit, I can't love you. Even though you're wonderful. I don't have the capacity. I'm completely incapable. And so we we fall down before Jesus and invite him into our lives. He comes in. He puts the Holy Spirit in our lives. And he begins to remake us from the inside. Gives us a love for God. Solomon writes, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Guard what you think about. Guard what you focus on. Guard what you look at. Why? Because you've fallen in love with God. You want to love what He loves. You want to focus on what He he cares about. Jesus also says we're to love God with all our soul. What's the significance of soul? The soul is the spiritual counterpart to the physical body. It's your inner self. It's the real you that you take with you to heaven. The Hebrew word for soul, nephesh, implies the totality of a person's being, your complete unique self. The Greek word for soul, suke, from which we get our word psychology, refers to one's unique personality. It's what makes you uniquely you. To love God with all your soul means to love you, love Him uniquely as only you can do. It means that you might worship God differently than I will. Jesus also says that we're supposed to love God with all our mind. Loving God with all our mind starts with an active decision to fix our minds on Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes, set your minds on things above when we allow thoughts of pride and lust and greed to dominate our thoughts, it pollutes our entire being. Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We want to think good thoughts Take captive our minds. Depending on your point of view, odds are you're either pro-Trump or pro-Pelosi. You're on Team Queen or Team Megan. But God says we're to love everybody, both sides. We treat everyone with kindness and respect because we realize everyone is created in the image of God. To learn to view people the way God does. One of the, the most helpful things is to spend time every day in God's Word. I, you know, I encourage you to spend at least 15 minutes a day. And we just talked about over the last several weeks that the, the Bible is God-breathed. So when you're spending time in the Bible, you're actually hearing from God. A loving God with our mind means to use our intellect. Astronomer Galileo said, I do not feel obliged to believe that the same God who has endowed us with sense, reason, and intellect has intended us to forgo their use. God has given us minds to use. Some people say Christianity is anti-science. Quite the contrary. We believe God has given us minds to use. Some of the greatest scientists in history have been Christians We're not afraid of science proving that there is no God. Quite to the contrary, we believe that the more we study about this world and about this amazing universe, the more more it points to an intelligent creator God. The Apostle Paul says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen. You can just see that there's a God by looking around. Being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Jesus also says we're to love God with all our strength. What's the significance of loving God with our strength? The Hebrew word for strength, maod, denotes a, a sense of exceeding effort. Heart, soul, and mind all refer to our inner self. Our strength refers to our outer self, our body. So, loving God with all our strength might be setting our alarm for a little bit earlier so we can spend time with God and His Word before we get rolling on our day. It might mean getting up to come to church, even though you, maybe you would, you know, you need a, to sleep in. It might mean eating carefully, taking time for physical exercise. The expert in the law asked Jesus to tell him, what's the greatest commandment of all these 613? Jesus surprised him by adding a second commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The religious expert asked for a singular answer. Jesus surprised him by adding Exodus 19.18 to Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Why did he do this? Because the expert in the law did not realize you can't separate love for God from love for neighbor. When we love our neighbor, we're loving God because every person is made in the image of God. How we treat our neighbor is how we treat God. Loving God includes loving our neighbor. Moreover, Jesus tells us how to love our neighbor. A new commandment I give you, love one another. Okay? How? As I loved you, so you must love one another. We're to love other people the same way God loved us. He sacrificed his son for us. Jesus died for us. We're to sacrifice ourselves for other people. So what are the big picture takeaways from this passage? What do we learn about our purpose in the world? The ultimate purpose of life, as defined by Jesus, is to love God and love neighbor. Or people. It's not mission. It's not bearing fruit. It's not making disciples. These are byproducts of love for God. You love God and you want to serve Him. You love God and you want to share with people how they can come to know God through Christ. You love God and you want to live an obedient life that honors Him. The key to loving God is not to see it as a duty, but to fall in love with God. If you're married, or you've been married, or you have or have had a boyfriend or girlfriend, you talk about falling in love. That's what we do with God. Loving God means to give Him our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love him with all that we have. And loving in God includes loving our neighbor. Lord God, yeah, we need to know a purpose, why we're living, what we're supposed to be doing. And you answered this teacher of the law. We're supposed to love you and love our neighbor. You make things so simple. You did that over and over again. Thank you, Jesus. We do love you. We want to love you. Help us love you more. And loving our neighbor, Lord, that's tough with some of our neighbors. Help us to see that everybody's made in your image and to love everybody. Our family, of course, people we work with, go to school with. But the people that are difficult, that are just outright mean to us, or think so differently from us. All right, I want you to pray right now. If you love God, would you tell him that? If you want to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Love your neighbor? You pray.